Hi. I know you're standing in a classic American strip mall. You should be in front of Walgreens, near the door. I want to make sure you're not standing in the way of shoppers, so slide over near the yellow newspaper racks to the side of the door. Did you know that 70% of Americans live within five miles of a Walgreens? There may be a guy here at this one asking you for money. Don't worry, he's friendly. And if you feel shy standing here by the Walgreens, you can browse the headlines on the newspaper. So, if we're spending the next hour talking about trash, then you might be wondering why we're starting here at Walgreens. This is where you get stuff, not where you throw it away. But let me just flip that around for you. This is where you get the stuff you throw away. This is where our trash is born. More and more of it every year. Just to give you an idea, Americans throw out twice as much per person as we did in the 1970s. Now, some of what Americans toss gets recycled or reused, but more than two-thirds of it goes into the regular old trash, like this clunky concrete bin right here where we're standing. And this is why I brought you here today, to tell you about a war against that clunky old garbage bin. See, the city of San Francisco has come up with one of the more audacious plans in the history of trash. This city wants to stop putting any of what we throw away into a regular old trash can, like that little guy, the kind whose contents are carted off to the landfill. Really, the idea is to reuse or recycle every single thing San Franciscans are done with, and to do that really soon, by the year 2020. How on earth the city is going to make that happen, that is what we're going to spend the next hour exploring. And we're not heading to the dump or to a landfill. Instead, we're going to weave our way through the nooks and crannies of daily life in San Francisco, because the front lines of San Francisco's battle with the garbage can are everywhere. But let's start by making a quick stop in a place you've probably been many times, the Walgreens. Come on, we're going to meet a guy in there whose friends and family call him Dr. Apocalypto. Step inside, turn to the left, and here he is, lost in the sunglasses and makeup. Oh, look. Oh, there we are, yeah. You know, if you're looking for nail colors, they got a me in here. Meet Dr. Apocalypto. Cosmetics is not his thing, but just walk over and peruse the wall of lipsticks and eyeliners and, yes, nail polish. The thing that impresses you when you stand here is just the enormous number of things. And so many colors, so many tiny little categories. It does seem kind of crazy. Okay, let's wander down aisle two. The sign above says shampoo and hair coloring. And as you walk, try seeing the items you're passing not as the hair rubber bands or bobby pins or tampons we normally think of them as, but as Dr. Apocalypto sees them, as a constant rain of garbage to be. This is hurting me. Are we in the shampoo area? I think we are. Yeah, stop here at the shampoos. End of the aisle. Thank God I have no hair, because I couldn't possibly choose what kind of shampoo to use. <laughs> One with argon oil or coconut milk. You can pick them up and look if you want. It's okay, Walgreens knows you're here. So, Dr. Apocalypto. Hey, do you sell hair dryers? His real name is Kevin Drew. He works for San Francisco's Department of Environment. And it's his job to keep everything you see on the shelves in front of you, behind you, to your left and to your right, from ending its life in a landfill. What is that? It's his job to find a second life for every single shampoo bottle, every layer of cardboard or plastic wrap, every hairband you see in this store. For the thing... 
and for the package it comes in. I mean, you know, I used to, I come from a time in San Francisco when I first arrived here. You know, we went and bought olive oil, honey, sugar, you know, flour in bulk. And is that because you guys were communists? <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> we should move on. We're going to take a slow walk to the refrigerator section at the opposite corner of the store. So amble around the store's perimeter. And as you look at the stuff that we pass, consider San Francisco's war with the garbage can. To get even close to winning this war, given these aisles reflect how we live, San Francisco has to do three basic things. One, find a way to recycle or reuse everything you see. Two, convince San Franciscans to help. And three, when those things don't work, take away our freedom. Seriously. I know here in Walgreens, this might seem like a losing battle, but between the refrigerators along the wall up here and the big sodas across from them, I'm going to show you a couple things the city of San Francisco and the state of California have been doing to fight this war. Things that are actually working. So first, find the yogurts. They're in the refrigerators. Second one from the left, I think. You know, those little tubs of Yoplait or whatever. You can pick one up and give it a squeeze if you want. Feel the soft plastic. In most American cities, you can't recycle yogurt containers. Pretty much every plastic other than bottles goes right into the old-fashioned garbage. But as cities like San Francisco have pushed these lofty recycling goals, they've inspired innovations in technology and new markets. So here in San Francisco, not only can you recycle plastic bottles, you can recycle almost any kind of plastic. In fact, it was a Bay Area company that first started taking our yogurt containers and turning them into landscaping material. You can put this one back. Okay, now turn around to the shelf behind you with the plastic soda bottles so I can show you victory number two, in which San Franciscans are convinced to help recycle. Pick up any bottle, find on any of these, where it says five cents refund, or in some cases, 10 cents. What that means is Californians get a nickel or a dime back when they take their empty bottle to a recycling center. Cash in their pockets for helping to recycle. Okay, a nickel or a dime, it's not much, but the result? A huge increase in the rate of bottle and can recycling. All right, you can put the bottle back. Before we leave Walgreens, I'll tell you about San Francisco's third recent victory in which the city takes away our freedom. I just want to buy a pack of gum, so if you're not getting something to, just browse those sunglasses near the register for a second before we leave. And be a spy. See if anyone leaves the store with one of those classic Walgreens plastic bags. Next to nice. How you doing? Good, how are you? Good, thank you. Can I have a bag with you a need plastic a bag? bag? Uh, no plastic in San Francisco. What? I know, ma'am. San Francisco has that, that law. Sorry. That's right. You heard the cashier. No more plastic bags in the city of San Francisco. Unless you're buying fresh produce or drippy food or something. San Francisco hasn't been able to find a cost-effective way to recycle plastic bags, so our government has taken them away from us. First this city, and now the entire state of California has followed suit. And Walgreens, by the way, they supported the bag ban. Let's get out of here. I'll meet you right outside the door. Let's go over to Goodwill and see what we can find.
Okay, so come on out, and with the door behind you, take a left. Head past the nail salon and the cafe to that Goodwill straight ahead. And nope, you can't get a bag in any of these places. Okay, you can get a paper bag or a reusable bag, but you have to pay at least 10 cents for it. That's a fascinating thing to go into a McDonald's and watch people get two Egg McMuffins, you know, two hash browns, uh, a coffee and an orange juice and not take a bag. It's amazing how cheap we are. (laughs) All right, entering Goodwill. Come on, we're just going to pop inside Goodwill for half a minute before we ditch the strip mall. You can think of this place as the antidote to Walgreens. On your left, you can flip through the racks of old shirts, pants, and dresses. Or to the right, bowls, vases, lamps, hair dryers. All this stuff that could have gone to the landfill headed for reuse instead. And stuff that doesn't sell here is sent to countries where there's more need or turned into rags or insulation or something else. It's a trash diversion utopia. The only problem with this place is most people don't bring their stuff here. Americans throw about 85% of the clothes they're done with into the regular old garbage. Every hour, San Franciscans collectively throw out a pile of clothes the weight of a smallish elephant. So the clothes, the hair dryers, all the flimsy plastic that still does end up in our trash, despite the ban on plastic shopping bags. These are the challenges that churn daily through Dr. Apocalypto's head. Right, right. It's seeing that there's value in the things that you have and taking all the steps necessary to recover that. And that drive to find value, that is why I'm taking you on this ramble through San Francisco's battle with trash. Look around, shop if you want. I'll meet you outside. All right, let's get out of the mall now. With goodwill behind you, take a left and walk along the storefronts. We're going to cross that little driveway up ahead and continue straight to the far end of the strip mall. Just cross toward the Union Bank branch and then continue past it. So, I'm a reporter. Just arrived here after a couple decades in New York. But I grew up in Berkeley, buying bulk foods at the co-op, just like Dr. Apocalypto. Berkeley had the first curbside recycling pickup in the country. And when you grow up in the insulated world of bulk food stores and environmentalists and communists, and then you leave, you notice how different things are in other places. People in other places make fun of Berkeley and San Francisco's radical projects. And honestly, I have too. But if you follow the Bay Area's battle with trash, it's hard not to notice that the Bay Area is kicking trash's ass. In the last couple decades, San Francisco has gone from putting two-thirds of its trash into the landfill to less than one-third. So aiming for zero. Hard, yes, but maybe not crazy. In fact, now cities around the country, New York too, are looking to San Francisco for answers. Stop when you get to the end of the mall up here and look across the street at that little auto shop. You'll see big white letters over one garage that say tires. And you can see tires on cars everywhere you look, of course. Keep that image in your mind because tires are yet another front in the battle with garbage. I'll explain right after you turn left and follow this lovely corridor of trees to the corner. This is Galvez Avenue. So, Californians throw away more than 40 million tires every year and they used to go into the landfill. 
To fix the tire problem, California slapped a fee on every tire sold and put that money into recycling them. Now three quarters of the tires we throw out get broken down and made into other things. Okay, here at the corner, we're gonna look both ways and carefully cross toward that truck yard. We're crossing Newhall Street and then we'll keep walking up Galvez. Kind of a bleak industrial block we're headed down. You may have to step over a bundle of someone's clothes. There may be plastic bags in the gutter or in the trees. A friend of mine in New York plays tenor sax and composes. A couple years ago, he made this otherworldly piece of music, except it's based on a true story. You've probably heard of it, the story of a barge that was loaded up with garbage from Long Island and sent to a landfill in North Carolina. The plan was to use the trash to make energy. But when those Southerners got wind of a delivery of garbage all the way from New York, people were outraged. They rejected it. The barge had to continue south, looking for a place to unload more than 3,000 tons of trash. In my friend's composition, the trash sings. We're sinking, we're stinking, we're rotting. We drift along from part to part, lost at sea. Oh, oh. The barge, Mobro 4000, went all the way to Belize looking for a friendly welcome. And eventually, it gave up and went back to New York. This all happened in 1987, and at the time, the story shocked the American public. It seemed the U.S. might be running out of room to dump its trash. Many smaller landfills did close down around that time, but they've been replaced by much larger ones. There is still room. On the other hand, landfills are costly. They create comparatively few jobs. No one wants to live next door to them, and the greenhouse gases they emit contribute to global warming. You probably have your own opinion about them. The city of San Francisco is convinced there is a better way. Then again, as you can see on this littered block, sometimes our cast-offs don't even make it to the trash. Pariahs in this cruel world Thrown out, despised, far from home Okay, you should be near the end of the street now. You're facing a hill that leads up to a chain-link fence around a sports field across the street. There's a path on the far right side of the field, over between the line of houses and the sports field. That's where we're headed. So look carefully before you cross, of course, and then go ahead and walk up to the entrance to the field. So you're heading to that path into the park, but before you go up, take a peek into the driveway that's just on the other side of the fence that's next to the path, the fence with the ivy straight ahead. I want you to take a quick look at how relatively clean and hands-off the job of a garbage man is today, thanks to the latest technology. So you'll be peeking around the ivy to look at the bins in the driveway there. The bins you'll see? The garbage guys just hook those things onto the mechanical arm of a truck and watch them tip into the compactor. It is not the very intimate affair it was 60 years ago. You found who wasn't paying their bills on time, whether they were into pornography. <laughs> Let's head up the path now between the houses and the field with Leonard Stefanelli. 
Leonard was picking up trash in the 1940s and 50s. What did you learn about people? <laughs> All I can say is, is that uh, there are no two people alike. <laughs> Do keep your eyes open and your phone in your pocket here, okay? A lot seems to go on in the bathroom next to the sports field. It's not just people relieving themselves. Also, when we go by, check out the sign on the gate next to the entrance to the sports field. The field's surface is made from 1,808 tires. If you feel comfortable, definitely go feel the little black pellets all over the field. Tires. When you're ready, keep walking up the path. When Lenny Stefanelli started picking up garbage, the so-called sunset scavengers had to weave their way through alleys and backyards, like the ones just on the other side of the fence to the right. They'd go up and down stairs, in and out of dark passageways, garages, and basements, with barrels full of smelly, raw garbage on their backs. At age 19, Stefanelli would add a load to his barrel, then jump on the garbage inside to make room for more. Yeah, you'd jump on the barrel to squeeze it down. They called it Italian power. One time, Leonard got a fly stuck in his throat, and then when he had to duck under a gas meter with the barrel on his back, and as he bent over and the barrel tipped, maggots crawling in someone's discarded fish fell out onto the back of his neck. I throw this goddamn barrel in the, in the truck, and I'm wiping these maggots off my neck and coughing and gagging with his fly. And then he sees a neighbor on the street just looking at him. And I'm looking at him, I says, what are you looking at? Not the man. She says, cool it, cool it. I said, what do you mean? What What do you I don't like you looking at me. You got some problem? He said, not the man. He says, I just thought Lincoln freed the slaves. And that day and age, if you would ask anybody to work like we did on that truck today, they'd tell you to go to hell. That's when garbage men were men. We're heading to the plateau at the top of the park, past the baseball diamond. So Stefanelli and his guys used to bring their barrels to a flatbed truck and pour them out in there to pick out the things that had value. We bail that and sold that stuff. We rewashed bottles and sold them back to the wineries. We were doing that long before it became popular. Stefanelli found liquor bottles in the garbage at a home for recovering alcoholics. Once, he found a guy who'd hung himself in a dark hallway. And then there was the baby. I don't know where the baby came from, but it was in a garbage can. I was shaking the bags out. It's depressing. Uh, it's it's got to be depressing for anybody to see something like that. When you reach the top of this path, walk straight across the park to the left of the swing set and find a comfortable place at the railing where you can stay a moment and look at the bay. Here's the trash singing again in my friend's garbage barge piece, just after its final rejection at sea. Once I saw a man so naked Tides came in I love the industrial beauty of this vantage point. You should be looking out over the entire Bay Area now from the railing. That's Oakland directly across the bay, and Berkeley is across the water to the left of those huge piles of rubble, which, by the way, are ground-up concrete and construction waste waiting to be recycled. 
Further to the left, you can see the Bay Bridge, downtown San Francisco, the pyramid-topped Transamerica building. Now look at the bay. All up and down the shorelines of this bay, that is where people used to dump their garbage, both officially and unofficially. During the gold rush, people dumped just about anything into the swamp that was San Francisco's shoreline just to make the ground solid enough to walk on. Then for the entire first half of the 20th century, there were official dump sites all along both sides of the bay. We used to just drive the, the trucks up to the where we're looking right now, the kind of the shoreline, and just dump stuff into the bay. Dr. Apocalypto is with us again. Like this backlands here that we're, that we're looking at right in front of us where there's some cranes and uh, some big piles of sand, that was open water at one time and was filled in. It wasn't until the 1960s that anyone really worried about dumping right next to or in the bay. At that point, three prominent women got concerned. The wives of prominent industrialists and the head of uh, UC Berkeley, the wives who lived up in the hills over there in the East Bay and were watching what was happening in the bay, said, gee, that doesn't look good. So they started a movement called Save the Bay. They got scientists at Berkeley involved researching the damage to plant and animal life. And that was the beginning of one of the country's most important environmental movements. Some of the principles that the folks who were trying to save the bay have taken hold in a big way. The most obvious of them, you don't throw your garbage into the water. If you haven't already, you can sit down at one of these picnic tables. To Leonard Stefanelli, who had risen up through the ranks to become a boss, that was really challenging news. San Francisco's garbage company had just leased a huge swath of Bayside Marsh for a new landfill. At one public hearing, he says, there were 300 screaming environmentalists in the audience. And they were out to kill the scavengers. Now, Leonard's a charming guy, and he says he made a point everyone could get with. And I said, we can't use that site. We can't collect your garbage tomorrow. It's not my garbage, it's our garbage. So everybody nodded that. But they wanted him to think a lot more creatively. A little old lady in tennis, she said, well, from your own admission, Mr. Stefanelli, you're nothing more than a scavenger. What do you know about the solid waste business? And that opened up the most profound response. I said, madam, until you got maggots down your neck and hail a fly and watermelon down the crack of your ass, don't you ever tell me I don't anything about whatever you want to call it. Out of arguments like that one grew a movement. A movement that ultimately created jobs for people like Dr. Apocalypto and his colleagues at the Department of Environment. And it also transformed the job of Leonard Stefanelli. His company gradually evolved, switched sides almost. Now it's called Recology. Recology still picks up the garbage, but two out of three employees work on recycling. And the company strives for ever more creative answers to the question, where should our unwanted belongings go to die? And if life just blows away, if it just disappears, what will come of me? Come on, let's head up the stairs over there to the right of the swings, the ones that lead up the hill. They're on the right side of the big concrete building. On the way to the stairs, take a look at that garbage can, just to the left of them, the one with the pyramid top. See that little pyramid? That was invented by one entrepreneurial Bay Area resident so that people could easily pick the bottles and cans out of public garbage cans. 
which otherwise don't get sorted. Remember, today's trucks aren't made for sorting through the trash, like when Leonard Stefanelli started out. If we tried to have a city employee pick them up, it would cost more than the value of them. So when someone takes them for free and then sells them and makes a little money themselves, we get the job done for the lowest cost. Keep heading up the stairs. You can see one of San Francisco's wonderful concrete slides to your right as you climb. If you want to go slide down, you are so welcome to. Otherwise, continue up. After this staircase, you'll go up another, the one with the stark concrete wall right next to it. All those fights in the 1960s and 70s over where to put the garbage, they all got people thinking, actually worrying about garbage. It was after all that, in the 80s, that the state of California set the first goals to divert garbage from landfills. When you get to the sidewalk at the top of the stairs, we're going to turn left around the cool green park sign and then walk along the sidewalk and shrubs heading uphill. Our next stop in San Francisco's crazy all-out war with trash is Ellen and Javier's house. It's no one you know, just a couple who takes really good care of their home and neighborhood. On Fridays, Javier even sweeps up and down the block across the street from his house. And Ellen carefully sorts everything her family throws away into San Francisco's three bins. The Fantastic Three, they're called. The whole system depends on people like Javier and Ellen helping. Are you at the crosswalks? Look for cars, and then take the one that keeps you going straight, across to the rounded corner with the light yellow house. And then we'll turn down the hill on the other side. In case you're not familiar with San Francisco's Fantastic Three, the new, most revolutionary bin is the green one. Once you've crossed, you're taking a left down the hill. We're going three houses down. The revolutionary piece was not having a green bin, but allowing people to put food in it. The city piloted the program back in 99, and 10 years later made it mandatory citywide. Now, more than two-thirds of our food scraps get composted up from almost none. All right, you see the three bins lined up in the driveway of that yellow house with green trim? Sometimes there's a truck, too. It's number 683. That is Ellen and Javier's house. Hola. So step right up, and let's see what's inside. Okay? Really? Okay. Ellen and Javier know you're coming. They are totally fine with you looking through their garbage. So... If you're up to it, go ahead and open the blue bin first. Ideally, you see bottles, cans, clean paper, pretty much anything plastic or metal. And by the way, if it's Thursday or Friday, you might not see much of anything because Recology picks up early Thursday morning. Mm-hmm. This is an interesting thing. This is, uh, this is metal but it's and a little bit of plastic. You can actually look at your phone for a picture of the thing Dr. Apocalypto's holding. It's an engine analyzer. It was in which bin? It was in the blue and it probably should have been in black. Because you'd have to take this thing apart to recycle the various components. Was this, was this broken? Is this? I don't know. It has been fixed, but I don't know. Because he could take this to goodwill. They might take it there. Kevin says it's not actually a bad thing to put stuff in the recycling if you're not sure. Because recology is always adapting what it can process. You know, uh, we'd rather have you err on the side of trying to have it recycled. Okay, ready for the green bin? You can look at your phone for a picture or scrunch up your nose and lift the lid. Try to lift it. Kevin this is picking is up the whole bin first, weighing it, and it's heavier than the landfill bin. You're doing a nice job with the amount of food that you're throwing away. You can put any food, even any soiled paper in here. 
paper milk cartons. There are more and more compostable plastics that can go in here, and it all gets devoured by tiny microbes and turned into compost for farms across the Bay Area. As long as you don't put all your rotten grapefruits into a regular plastic bag inside the bin, like Ellen has mistakenly done. She's saying it's, the problem yeah. is sometimes there are flies, so mm-hmm. that's how they're trying to keep the flies away. We actually don't want you to use the plastic because the plastic ends up in the soil. Al fin, el plástico se queda en la tierra. Sí. Okay, let's go. Good, but thank you for letting us look. I want to take us across the street before we keep heading down. And this may be the most revolutionary thing I say this whole walk, but let's not jaywalk right here. Instead, let's go back up to the crosswalk at the top of the street and cross back toward the park. You might be noticing some patterns here as we walk. Three main tools the city is using in its battle with trash. Tool one, obvious new recycling technologies and markets. Tools two and three, remember, have much more to do with getting us to help. You can think of them as the carrot and the stick. The carrot, pay us money to recycle. The stick, you are breaking the law in San Francisco when you don't recycle or compost. By the way, you should be taking the striped crosswalk toward the park, and then you'll head back down the block on the other side of Keith, along that low wall. So occasionally, the carrots and sticks we were talking about They get all mixed up, and they even contradict each other. For example, this guy. Jose. Jose Camacho. Jose lives in a tent not too far from here, and he picks bottles and cans out of the blue bins on my block so that he can get that refund we talked about, the carrot. Jose says that this is his job. It's how he pays for food, he says, and sometimes maybe a beer. Okay, you're headed down the bay side of the street now, and we're looking for this little inlet along the wall on the left. That's our next stop. So if you get there to that little inlet, just hang out until I catch up with you. One sort of funny problem with Jose getting that refund, that carrot, is he's taking away my carrot. By putting my bottles and cans into the blue bin, I'm supposed to be sharing my carrot with the garbage company. They get the refund, and that should shrink my garbage bill. But not if Jose takes the carrot. And some people hate that. Okay, come on over to the edge of this little alcove. Now lean over the wall and look into the gardens below. I want to introduce you to the people whose garden is the one below us a little to the left. That very well-coiffed garden. I'm Eric Sandstrom. I'm Mary, Eric's wife. Eric used to be furious that after he carefully sorted his bins and put them out... Someone was coming by and stealing his bottles and cans. The first time somebody started going through the garbage, we chased him away. Yeah. Right? He said, hey, leave that alone. City property. But then Eric, who's retired from the Army, found out the guy was a Vietnam vet. And he said, oh, you can have all the garbage you want. <laughs> I mean, I just try to do my best to help people out. So if, if I got extra beer cans, and I usually do. I mean, I give them. Come on, let's keep heading down this hill. Now Eric actually loads his leftover bottles and cans into a big bag in his basement and personally hands them over to the scavenger when the bag gets full. I can see him down here on the corner coming, right? So he always looks up to see if I'm here. And then I bring him his cans and he's happy and off he goes. Pretty nice. Well, I mean... 
there's people who are not ready for this world, and they're in it. You can't see it from here, but just on the other side of that hill in front of us, there are some of the most decrepit and depressing examples of public housing you can find in San Francisco, despite being perched on a hill overlooking the entire bay. We'll be walking by them later. The good news is they're being torn down. And the people who live there are moving into brand new buildings, like that four-story brown building right at the top of the hill we're walking towards, the one you can see. This city is home to some of the poorest people in the country, and increasingly to some of the richest. In the world of garbage, it's the rich people you have to worry most about. If your goal is zero waste, nothing in landfills, bring on the recession. Bring on the depression. That's when people value what they have. Here in Boomtown, San Francisco, even with all this very successful effort to recycle or reuse or compost, the amount San Franciscans are sending to the landfill is growing again for the first time since 1999. So to be clear, even though the percentage of our waste that goes to the landfill is still shrinking, the quantity is growing. Do not cross the street that we're coming up to now. It's Rebecca Lane. Instead, we're going to cross the street we've been walking down one more time. So cross from this palm tree to the sidewalk that's hugging the hill across the street, across Keith. Then keep walking down. The thing about living here, being drafted into San Francisco's war against garbage, like I have, is that for every advance the city makes against trash... The trash fights back. The thing that makes it impossible, seem impossible, I think, to us is actually packaging. It's just packaging, like when we were in Walgreens, is the thing that gets you. From what I see as a mom, we are going so far in the other direction. My kids are constantly begging me for the yogurts, the little squeezy bottles that are made of that stuff that can't even be recycled, and like every little plastic thing in a tiny container with almost no stuff in it. That's what they are begging me for. <laughs> we used to give our kids uh, Lunchables for Christmas as once a year. as a kind of a big gift. Uh. <laughs> Go ahead and cross Fairfax when you get there. And then turn right into that parking lot up ahead. We are coming up to a brewery. And when you visit a place like this one, The whole zero waste thing, the idea that we can stop sending anything to the landfill, it looks a little bit more optimistic. Industry arrives at zero waste pretty regularly. See, San Francisco residents do pay for garbage pickup. More for a big bin, less for a small one. But businesses pay by weight, and a lot more. So if there's a way not to throw something away, businesses are more likely to find it. I'm going to show you an example in this brewery. Hey, come on in, speakeasy. You're Nick, right? Yeah, I'm Nick. There's no garbage here. (laughs) So... What do I do? You're going to hang a right at our driveway. I know it doesn't look like much, but this is actually one of the biggest breweries in San Francisco. We're headed towards those big white silos straight ahead. So go towards the one on the corner closest to us. There's lots of trucks, cars moving in and out all day. Definitely want to keep you out of harm's way. Now, you're more than welcome to walk up all the way to the silo, but we'd like you to stick to that just in case a forklift comes around for work. You don't want to get forked by a forklift, trust me. Okay, let's walk around to the left side of this corner silo so that you can see that other row of silos behind it. Those silos along the wall, 
those are full of grains. Grain is one of the four components of beer. Water, yeast, hops, and malt, which is grains. So those silos along the wall are filled with grains. And now, see those pipes that run between them and into the wall up there? What that is doing is actually pumping grains into our milling system, where it crushes it down to the right fineness and then gets pushed into the brew kettle to be made into beer. And when you, when you make beer, you must end up with a lot of grain. Quite a bit, especially being the size brewery that we are. So you compost that? No way. It's not cost effective. The cost to dispose of this much grain is astronomical and doesn't make any sense. So what we do with the grain is once a week, a large semi-truck will come from a farmer and they will pick up all of our spent grain and take it away to their farms to feed to the livestock. You can actually see where the farmers load up on grain back around the other side of this corner silo. So come on back around to the side with the cool white ladders and look for a metal pipe sticking up diagonally with a red contraption on the end. That's where the spent grain comes out and into the back of a farmer's truck. Good grain makes happy cows. It is completely free to us to dispose of it through them, and they get all the grain for free as well. So let's get to the fun stuff. Let's check out the tap room. We just need to walk around to the left side of all these silos, and you'll see a ramp and stairs up to the front door. That's where our tap room is. <laughs> just be careful, there's cars driving around everywhere. Even if you're not feeling like a nice cold beer right now, definitely come in and check it out. So lots of fun little things hidden around the tap room. One of my favorite things is a button on the wall that says, push in case of raid. If you do want to check out the tap room before you go, feel free. And you can come back here and get a beer when we're done. We'll end just a few blocks from here. So the wooden slatted door with the peephole through it is the entrance to the tap room. We are 21 and over and no pets. We have a brew kitty. Outside on the patio, though, you can bring your dog. So just meet me back down there at the bottom of the driveway when you're ready. Well, thanks for visiting us, and I hope you come back and try some of our brews. Thanks, Nick. Hi. So we'll turn right out of the parking lot, then right again at the big intersection. That's Evans, the other end of the street that our Walgreens was on, actually. But we're going to walk toward the bay, not toward the Walgreens. You know, restaurants used to just feed their leftovers to pigs in the back alley. And the pig was quite easy. You didn't have to to drive a truck to it. You just threw the stuff on the ground and he ate it. Anyway, pigs stopped living with us in cities for the most part. Some restaurants still gave their leftovers to farms or to food banks. But before the city's compost program, most of our food scraps were going to the landfill. And food scraps, by the way, are worse than any other landfill ingredient when it comes to producing greenhouse gases. So when the city first started pushing people to compost leftover food... It was free. So you had to pay for garbage, but you could get rid of organic stuff for free. So the restaurants caught on to that immediately. We had restaurants that dropped their bill by 95%. The impact has been huge. While in New York, about 90% of food scraps still end up in the landfill, here, we've got it down to less than a third. You should be walking down the four-lane street here now with the brewery on your right. you got to wonder, if making businesses pay for garbage works so well, 
why not raise prices for everyone? Is garbage expensive enough? No. Garbage is not expensive enough. If we could get the price of garbage up even a few dollars a ton, that would help immensely. Then Kevin is convinced people would throw away less, just like they use fewer shopping bags when they have to pay 10 cents for them. Keep walking along this low cement wall, another pretty bleak landscape. See any stray garbage in the gutter or on this bedrock next to us? I know this sounds strange, but sometimes since I've been thinking so hard about all this, I make up stories about the trash I see strewn across the city. You've seen it. Maybe you do now. Streets littered with discarded pieces of people's lives. That wadded up tissue or napkin or whatever it is. Maybe someone used that to wipe soup off his face while he told his mother he and his wife were divorcing. The plastic bag there. Someone carried that home from a San Francisco suburb, one where they give you a bag, with Tylenol in it for her kid's fever. She threw the bag in her trash at home, but it was a windy day when the garbage truck came, and as they slid the garbage out of her trash bin into their truck, the bag flew out. Since then, it's been slowly making its way to the bay. When you get to the stop sign, cross and wait for me on the corner next to the little stone marker announcing Hunter's View Houses. And when you get there, look up to the public housing on the hill to your right. Those are the houses I told you about earlier, the ones they're tearing down. You can see the boarded up windows. Now we're going to turn left. So look super carefully for cars and cross the wider street. It's Evans. And on the other side, continue along the chain link fence along that street where the trees are. The land along this part of the shore, on the other side of this fence and behind us, It used to be a navy yard. During World War II, shipbuilding drove the economy of this neighborhood. So thousands of mostly African Americans from the South moved here to build the ships. The navy also studied, right here, the effects of radiation on ships that had been exposed to atomic bombs. And they disposed of some of the radioactive waste right here, between the Bay and the Bayview neighborhood's working class families. The yard closed in the 70s, And then, right here on the other side of this fence, one of the most polluting power plants of all time moved in. Finally, in the 1980s and 90s, neighbors here stood up and said, we cannot live with this air. They eventually got the plant shut down. There's a place coming up where you can see through the fence to the bay. It's right here. See the transformers and the old Navy yard sticks out beyond them to the right. All that land at the edge of the bay and much of the land we're walking on has been used to dump some pretty bad chemicals. California now requires us to send that stuff far away to special landfills designed for toxic waste. Go ahead and keep walking now. I know a guy down here who's done a lot of landscaping in the neighborhood. So if you had to guess, what would you guess was under our feet right now? I don't even want to... This is Jeff Coffey. I've actually read the soil reports and... um... Lots of things that you don't want to know about. Various heavy metals and volatile organic compounds and arsenic and, you know, God knows what else. There's, there's a lot of nasty stuff under there. Once digging a six-foot hole nearby, he also found a couch. We'll come back to Jeff at our last stop. Okay, keep walking along Jennings with the fence on your right. There is a huge cleanup still underway along this part of San Francisco's shoreline. No one can do anything here until the toxic waste is either removed or contained. 
And there are big plans for all this waterfront now that it's no longer a garbage dump. There's a huge, mostly market-rate housing development where the Navy Yard used to be. And one idea along these blocks is to put restaurants and stores facing a shore that looks more like the marshland that existed here 200 years ago. The city wants to make this a destination neighborhood, not a forgotten one. So this land here, that used to be essentially a dump, now it's becoming valuable. As the population grows all across the U.S., land that was once considered useless enough to hold our garbage is being transformed into new housing, restaurants, groceries, Walgreens. That means more garbage, and it means we have to truck it to landfills farther and farther away, to the dwindling number of places where land is cheap enough to be our dump. The landfill where San Francisco's trash goes now is set to fill up in 2016. The city will likely have to spend more money to send its trash farther away. So what are we San Franciscans still sending to the landfill? What are we still failing to reuse or recycle? The city recently took stock of what exactly is in there. And it's all kinds of things, from baby diapers and dog poops to flimsy plastic packaging. But the biggest portion, more than a third of what's going to the landfill, is organic waste, stuff that could be composted. Too many of us still throw stuff that could be composted into the trash. We're about to meet the guy whose job it is to try to solve that problem and many others. But first, there's a place I want to show you. A place you might not have expected. It's right up there where that cylindrical sign is. Welcome to Heron's Head Park. Turn right into the park, right where that big column with all kinds of information on it is. You'll walk past a couple yellow posts, and you'll start to leave the industrial wasteland we've been walking through behind. Pretty different picture up ahead. Just keep walking out toward the bay with the patch of grass on your left. This bit of land that we're walking onto is man-made. It was filled in to hold one end of another bridge spanning the bay. The project was started and abandoned in the 1960s, and this pier turned slowly back into what you see. In the 90s, when neighbors finally managed to shut down the power plant, there was a big settlement, a big chunk of money awarded to the neighborhood. And part of that money went to restoring this natural habitat and building that little eco-center you see up there on the low hill to your left. It's a totally self-sustaining little building. Okay, now you should see a little water inlet next to you on the right. Oh my god, what's in the water? Is that a seal? Beautiful black seals sometimes swim around in here. Wow, this place is so beautiful. Okay, stop for a minute and take a look all around us, starting with the house-covered hill that slopes down toward the bay behind us to our right. That's the Bayview neighborhood that we just walked through to get here. Now, moving your eyes slowly to the left, those metal towers there that are closer to us and right next to the bay, those are the transformers left over from the power plant. The land behind those that juts farther out into the bay, that's where the Navy Yard used to be. Keep turning to the left. You'll see the little eco-center right there in the park. And then further to the left, four big cranes that once moved big containers from land to ships. 
They're just leftovers from the days when all this was a working port. Now all the containers are dropped off and picked up in Oakland, across the bay. Finally, the piles of crushed concrete and construction waste, ready to be recycled. Okay, let's keep walking now. Along this path that heads further out into the bay. We're meeting someone here. The guy I told you about whose job is to figure out things like how to get food scraps out of our trash. I think I see him. Mike Cassetti? Yes. Hi, I'm Marianne. Yeah. Great pleasure. to meet you. Mike Cassetti you. is Recology's general manager. He's worked in the garbage industry for 45 years. And during this last decade, his focus has been more than anything on figuring out what's the next thing we can pull out of the landfill and find a way to reuse or recycle. Well, it gets tougher every year. It gets tougher the more you get the easy uh, material out of the waste stream. It's more difficult to find markets for the material that's still going to the landfill. We're going to walk with Mike to the other side of this building with plants growing on the roof, the eco-center. There are a couple more picnic tables on the other side. That's where we're headed. Is zero waste possible? You know, it's uh, it's kind of like safety. We You know, we want zero accidents. If you don't set high goals, you don't achieve. And uh, zero waste is, is the goal. Okay, so walk up to the picnic tables behind the eco-center. The ones to the left of the grill. The one that says hot cash only. Take a seat if you want, but face away from the eco-center. I want to show you something. So with your back to the eco-center, see the big gray warehouse directly in front of us? This facility processes all the blue cart material that our customers generate. So all that stuff we saw in the blue bin, the yogurt containers, the bottles, the cans, the some random chunk of metal that somebody put in there, that goes here? It all comes here. The contents of more than 300,000 blue bins across the city. Sometimes you can see the huge pile of cans and bottles and paper through the square opening in the side of the warehouse. That's where the trucks dump the goods. Then machines move all that stuff along conveyor belts and through tunnels. They blow air on it and they suck it through holes. And there are people in there, too, picking plastic bags out of the mix, grabbing paper from where plastic is supposed to go, all with the aim of sorting it out so that Recology can sell it. Where does it go? A lot of it goes overseas. Uh, Some is domestic, but the major portion, which is about 70%, is fiber. That's mixed paper, corrugated, and that's all going overseas. Okay, now's your chance to walk out on this pier as far as you feel like going. You can get a better look at the warehouse, or you can look for birds or seals or whatever while we talk to Mike a little more. Go ahead and wander, or keep relaxing here if you're tired. Just stay on this side of the eco-center while we talk to Mike and then we'll meet back in this area when we're done. As you walk, look out at the bay. See any container ships? Most of those come into the bay with stuff we buy from Asia or elsewhere. And then they leave here loaded up with our discarded paper and plastic and everything else. Recology strives to get the best price it can for all the stuff it ships out. And Mike says it really helps that San Franciscans are doing the first round of sorting into the blue, black, and green bins. Because if the paper or the plastic or metal we throw into the recycling is dirty, they can't get top dollar for it. Yeah, a good example is a pizza box. You know, you have a bunch of cheese on it when you're finished with the pizza, and that's not going to be a good uh, recyclable item for a fiber 
company. That ends up being a compost product. They can't just incorporate a little cheese into their paper? <laughs> I, I guess the paper might, might smell like cheese or something. I'm not sure. But uh, no, they don't want that. Do they send stuff back saying, yo, it's all contaminated. Why'd you send this to us? <laughs> well, what happens is we get inspectors here at the pier before uh, the material sent out, and they'll have us open up a bale and reject it if it has anything like that in it. Inspectors look for flies. That's a telltale sign. And recently, China actually put its foot down and stopped buying any mixed plastic from the U.S. They thought that there were a lot of materials, a lot of trash coming into their country rather than good recyclable material, and they were getting a little bit concerned about it. They said it was ending up in their landfills instead of their factories. So they started saying no. And when that market disappeared, what happened? We ended up having to store material for a while until we found it, uh, a place to go, and our brokers finally did. Uh, We found another market in Korea for it, luckily, uh, because we were running out of room to store it. So are the brokers literally walking around to different companies and saying, how much will you give me for this container of corrugated cardboard? Yeah, they they know the markets. The mixed paper fiber is around $110. It's dipping a little bit right now. Corrugated is about $150 a ton. And that price, does that pay for what we're doing here? Are you guys making a profit on that? No, the cost of collection and sorting material is certainly more than the price that we get for selling the material. So there would be some city that would say, we're not going to recycle, we can't afford it. Well, you could say that. In the short term, it might be cheaper, but when you fill up your landfill, you have to build another landfill. I don't think that uh, building new landfills is an environmental cost. I think it's just, it's a real cost. Okay. It's time to head back out of this park now to our last stop. Wherever you are, start heading back toward the eco-center now, the little building with the green roof. I'll meet you along the path right there, and we'll head back. Mike Crisetti told me Recology is on the verge of figuring out how to deal with all those food scraps that are still ending up in our trash bins and landfill. They can't compost them because by the time they've gotten mixed up with all our other trash... They're contaminated. But they're hoping to extract them from the pile before it goes to a landfill and use them to make energy. It's called anaerobic digestion. There's a place in San Jose that can do that. They already do it in Europe. Okay, find your way to the path next to the eco-center. If you want to check out the building, you can always come back here again when we're done. Hey there. Let's walk back along this path now, toward the road. So, all the recycling going on over at the pier next to us, it is great. It's creating jobs, it's relieving pressure on landfills, it lengthens the life of our stuff. But not forever. See, most of what we recycle degrades a little with each new life. It doesn't get turned back into what it was to begin with. It's like it has bad karma, so each life, it comes back as something lowlier than before instead of closer to perfection. And eventually... It ends up regular old trash. People call that downcycling. Especially our plastic tends to get downcycled. And that's one reason a woman I met here named Beth Terry is leading her life free of plastic. Also because all kinds of animals eat it after it finds its way to every corner of the earth. Oh, I see a piece in there. It looks like a little bag. Kind of baggy. Yep, it's a plastic baggie. 
This would definitely end up in the water if, if I hadn't just picked it up. Oh, look, styrofoam. As we walk back to the street, if you see any bits of plastic bags or garbage on the ground and you want to pick them up too, that would be great. This plastic-free thing, it's a radical choice. It takes work. How do you brush your teeth? So I use a bamboo toothbrush, actually. Um, and what about the toothpaste? There are these tablets, and you put them between your teeth and chew them up, and then they foam up. I mean, there are people who brush their teeth with soap. I, I, it made me gag. Okay, we're getting close to the street now. So let's toss whatever garbage you've picked up into the bins. And then if you need to, you can wash your hands in the bathroom over by the parking lot. If you don't need the bathroom, sit down at the picnic tables that are closest to the parking lot there. And consider brushing your teeth with soap. Or even tablets. Would you go that far? Even Dr. Apocalypto says... For this city to win its war against the garbage can, we San Franciscans do not have to make changes that radical. We do not have to give up all plastic. But we will have to give up some stuff, like the plastic bag. You know that there's that classic, beautiful film image of a plastic bag blowing in the wind? Is it beautiful to you? Actually, it is. is. I mean, I'm sorry, but the thing I'm thinking about is the uh, scene from American Beauty. You want to see the most beautiful thing I've ever filmed? The sun looks at a plastic bag twirling around and just talks about life. And this bag was just dancing with me. Like a little kid begging me to play with it. That's the day I realized that there was this entire life behind things. When you're ready, let's head to our last stop. I want to leave you somewhere inspiring. And it's right across the street from this park. See the big green arch that's facing the park? It says Bay Natives. You'll see it better when you get close. That's where we're going. I'll meet you under the sign that's facing this park. And watch out for Recology's garbage trucks as you cross. Welcome to Bay Natives. This is Jeff Coffey's place. He's the guy who found the couch six feet underground. And he sells almost exclusively plants that are native to this part of California. Plants that were growing here before the settlers arrived. And that's cool because it means they don't need a lot of upkeep or fertilizer or, best of all, water. But that's not actually why we're here. What I love even more here is the casually ingenious way they use stuff that might be thrown into a trash heap somewhere to make something beautiful. Look at their offices. They're not constructed with fresh lumber. They're made of old shipping containers, the kind that take our paper recycling to China every day. Now sneak into that little courtyard between the two containers. See that table with the glass top? The base is from an old Zinfandel vine. Zinfandel meaning grapes. Yeah, wine grapes. Inside the office, you'll see some more gorgeous pieces made out of the same vines. Oh, here. Oh, my God. Is that the shape it was in? Uh-huh. Just going directly out like uh-huh. that? They're like right, candelabras. Those are so beautiful. Okay, come back out, and I'll show you one more piece that I especially love. It's on a little granite shelf outside the containers. It's a stone tied to an old branch. See if you can find it. Maybe not what you consider gorgeous, but the way it balances does look like some kind of magic. And that little shelf it's on, look, it's an old tombstone. 
rescued long ago from a San Francisco cemetery that was moved out of town to make more room for the living. Now I want to take you to a part of this nursery you might not have been expecting. It's at the back of the lot. You'll see yet another chain-link fence there. So walk over to it and then follow it to the right. And pretty soon, what's on the other side will come into view. If they're home. Yes, there are real goats here. If you don't see any goats, they're out working. I'm sorry. These are working goats. Their job is to go anywhere in the city where someone wants them to chew up and digest the overgrowth. So that means parks, hillsides, medians, and backyards. Beautiful lawnmowers. Yeah, they are. They are beautiful lawnmowers. You know, the city lawnmowers. Treverton Rose actually lives here with them, over on the other side of that big white tent cover. He moved here from Jamaica. When you were moving to the States and to San Francisco, did you ever think that there would be, like, a farming job for you here? No way. I didn't believe that because the picture I was showing, like, San Francisco was just all about building and concretes and, you know, just like city life. It turns out San Francisco is all about recycling and compost and even grazing goats. You might see Oreos sprawled out in the sunshine. This is Genevieve Church. She helps manage the goats, too. You may see goats having mock battles. That happens all the time. About 100 goats live here. And no, that is not nearly enough to digest all the yard waste in San Francisco. But they're playing their small part in the city's waste management system. And their bodies are way more efficient than the composting we do in our green bins. They eat, digest, and relieve themselves in a way that nourishes the ground underneath them. It's wonderful that we have the ability to compost our yard waste in urban centers now. But if you can put it back into the land where it has been growing, you are replenishing the soil in the way that it is meant to happen. Before I leave you here with the goats, I want to say something about those funky, rusty, springy toys just there on the other side of the fence. They're toys for the goats, and they were made out of junk by the guys who work at the big open space that stretches out behind this little goat corral. See, the goats live on a rail yard. You can see more of it if you walk over to the end of the fence, over to your right. These 10 acres behind the goats, they belong to the San Francisco Bay Railroad. See any black and yellow engines? I love hearing that sound. David Gavridge owns the rail yards, the goats, plus some chickens, some bees, and a fleet of old diesel trains that used to transport wounded soldiers during World War II. Now they carry toxic waste from downtown construction sites and also from the old Navy shipyards we talked about to specialized landfills in Idaho and Utah. Instead of diesel, the trains now run on biodiesel, basically cooking fat that's been converted into fuel. And the guys who work here loading up trains with toxic waste. They are old-fashioned engineers. They're not radicals. They're not extreme. Just the kind of guys who, when something is broken, they fix it. When they need something new, they make it. Maybe the simplest way to keep stuff out of the landfill. They work out of those little sheds to the right over there, on the other side of the tracks. The first time I visited here, they were busy making these bouncy toys that you see here for the goats. 
for jumping on it? Oh my God, that's great! So he's making a, a jungle gym, basically. Essentially, a, a, a bouncy for the bouncy toy for the uh, the goats. That's great, Paul. And it's just out of desire. stuff you have around. Yeah, just stuff lining around. And that's desire. The kind of, that's the kind of innovative stuff we have going on here. Something new out of something old. So I'm going to leave you to contemplate the jumpy toys, and you can feed the goats. Here's our basket of goat food. See the little wooden bucket, the homemade square one with plant clippings in it? Just grab some clippings and stick them through the fence. There you go, honey pie. Oh, manzanita, your favorite. Oak and manzanita are their two favorites. Do read the signs posted on the fence about what you can feed them and how much. And if you need help finding your way back to where we started, you can look at the tips on your phone. Thank you so much for coming along.